you, Lord. Lord, we, we might feel like prodigal sons that have run away and done stupid things. But you're a, a prodigal God, a God who has a, a reckless love. A love that is so amazing, God. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would help the reality of these things to impact our hearts, I pray. Lord, I just thank you for the, the privilege to stand and speak to your people this morning. Lord, I don't take it lightly, Lord, the responsibility that you have given me. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me to speak words of life, words of encouragement, Lord God, words of truth to your people. Lord, I pray that you would lift up each one, that you would help each one of us rise up to be the people you have created us to be. Help us rise up to be the church you have created us to be. Help your church around the world, Lord, to rise up and be the church you have created it to be. Lord, we thank you that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear what it is that you're saying to us this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word that it has power to change lives, to bring life, to bring correction, and to, to lead us forward. Lord, we just thank you for these things. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I feel like I'm going to lose my voice now. I'm having too good a time. I'm going to... Thank you, Jesus. He is good, amen? Amen. It's so good to be in church. It's so good to see you all back from holidays. I feel like a lot of you must have been away last week, but uh, it's good, good to see you. Um, I'm excited about my word this morning. I wasn't going to say that. I'm thinking, should I say that? Probably not, but I, I'm just excited. <laughs> And I'm so excited. I had three examples, three, three analogies I was debating whether I should start with this morning. And I couldn't choose, so I'm going give, to give them all really quickly. Um, the first one I was going to share was my, my five minutes of fame in cycling. Um, and I thought, no, that'd be boastful. So I won't show you. I'll just tell you. Um, <laughs> I was going to show you a little video from SBS Cycling that I was on there one day. And I, I won a race. And they interviewed me on, on TV. And people came to me and was like, we saw you on TV! Anyway, that was really exciting. I should just tell you, though, it was actually only a heat. And to be really honest, it was actually handicapped as well. So it, technically speaking, everyone's got the same chance of winning. But I won and I was on TV. And that was really exciting. But in the scheme of things, it was just one, one win in a heat. And in the final, I wasn't even in the top, in the top ten. So it's probably a good reason not to show you the video. Um, <laughs> And in the scheme of things, my goal was to get to the Olympics, and that was just one race, one battle I faced, and I won that, that heat. It was Australia's biggest track cycling event, so that was pretty cool, but um, it was just one battle. And you know what? The next week, I had to go out there and do another 500Ks, spend another six hours in the gym, and it was just one battle that I had a little victory. We were watching the movie the other day, The King's Speech. Has anyone seen the movie, The King's Speech? I, I love that movie, maybe partly because I started as a kid and uh, I, I sympathise with that guy. Um, if I ever speak unclearly, I just blame my old speech stuff that I didn't do good and stuff. Um, my vocabulary maybe isn't, anyway. <laughs> the King's Speech. It's all about 
the king's speech. The start of the movie is about this guy who is um, the son of the king and he makes his first speech on the radio, the brand new radio. And he thinks it's the curse of the enemy because he has a speech impediment. He can't speak properly and he stands up to that microphone and tries to speak and nothing comes out. And the movie is all about his journey to he becomes king and then finally he stands up and with all the rocking on his toes and the special ways he's learnt and the techniques, he gives his first speech as the king. And the people rejoice because their king can speak. But I think, I wonder how every other speech after that went for the king. We just see one of his speeches. And I think, I wonder how it went for every other speech, every other battle that he faced. I don't know how he went. And I think about all the other movies we see of, of, of battles and war, in wars. That it's the battle of this or the battle of that and they go into detail of what happens in this battle. But they don't show you every other battle that goes on to win the war. Or maybe they show you the war but the, and they win the war and there's excitement and, they, and the movie ends. But we all know then there's another war and another war and after that there's another war. And then I was thinking just yesterday, I, was in a, I did a bike race yesterday and it was 60Ks. I haven't done a 60K bike ride for a year. <laughs> and if you saw me stretching before, it wasn't because I was getting warmed up ready to preach, it's because I'm sore. <laughs> and it was three laps and I finished the first lap and I'm like, yeah, I finished the first lap. I go, oh, but I've got two more to go. End of, the, end of the second lap, I start cramping up and I'm like, oh God, please help me. And I made it. And I got around to the third lap and then I cramped up and I couldn't hardly finish the race, but I did. But there's more to be done. That's the title of my message this morning. There's more to be done. That might be demoralizing. That might be such a, a, a oh, kind of statement. That might be a, a statement that just makes you feel deflated. But this morning, the title of my message is, There is more to be done. There's another lap to go around. There's another battle to fight. There's another speech to be made. Last time I was up here, we looked at the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, that we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill and destroy. He's a roaring lion. And before, during and after the battle, we need to be careful what voice we listen to. And we looked at that God is greater than any power that would come against us. That he has won the victory for us and we can live in and walk in that. But this morning, I want us to look, whatever your place this morning, whether you're pre-battle, whether you're in the middle of a battle, or whether you're post-battle, you've just come out of something and you're going, yeah, God is good. And maybe you're all post or pre or mid because you didn't go, yeah. <laughs> come on. But I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 7 to see how this great leader goes forward after the victory of seeing the walls being built. What he does in that time, in Nehemiah chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, grab them out, open them up. We're going to read through a bit of Nehemiah 7. And uh, if you've got a different translation, you can check out what yours says and see the different emphases. Thank you, Lord. Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, After the war was finished, the battle's been won, 
and I had set up the doors in the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar, and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. I had found the gene genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. This is what was written there. Here is the list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from their captivity. Remembering as we looked at the map that God's people... Uh, exiled from Egypt, they wander through the wilderness and they enter the promised land and then the ten northern tribes uh, exiled into Assyria, the two southern tribes uh, of, of Judah uh, exiled to Babylon. Um, now I've lost my place. What verse was I up to? <laughs> Thank you. But now they return to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. Their leaders were Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Relaiah, Nehemiah, Mordecai, there's a good one, Bilshan, Mispah, Bigvay, what a great name, Bigvay, Reham, and Banan, no, Bana, I'm sure you got that at school. <laughs> this is the number of men of Israel who returned from exile. The family of, and we're just going to stop there. I'm sorry, we could look at the genealogy, we could look at the list of people, and there is things we could look at that and learn about it, but we're not going to this morning. We're just going to skip down to verse 61. Um, I think you got the next verse, sorry, Laura. Another group returned at this time from the towns of Telmalah, Talhasha, Kerub, Adan, and Imna. However, they could not prove that they or their families were descendants of Israel. This group, verse 62, included the families of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nakoda, a total of 642 people. Three families of priests, Hobiah, Hazok, and Basilia, also returned. This Brasilia had married a woman who was a descendant of Brasilia of Gilead, and he had taken her family name. Thanks for telling us that. Um, they, sh they searched for their names in the the records, <laughs> but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. The governor told them not to eat the priest's share of food for the from the sacrifices until a priest could consult the Lord about the matter by using the Urim and Theum, the sacred lots. Verse 66. So a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah in addition to 7,337 servants, 245 singers, both men and women. They took with them 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. We might... No, I'm not going to say that. 
Some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold coins, 50 gold basins, and 530 robes for the priests. The other leaders gave to the treasury a total of 20,000 gold coins and some 2,750 pounds of silver for the work. The rest of the people gave 20,000 gold coins, about 2,500 pounds of silver and 67 robes for the priests. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. There's more to be done. They've finished building the wall, but there's more to be done. And whatever your place, know that even though there's more to be done, God is greater. And just to even point out where I'm going this morning, that God is our provider. He is our strength. After Nehemiah and the people finish the walls, he appoints gatekeepers, he appoints singers and Levites, it says. And if you look at it carefully, that he's appointing those that are loyal to Israel and appointing them within the nation and within the city. He delegates responsibility of governing the city to Hanani and Hananiah. Now, Hananiah is the one that originally came to him when he was a cupbearer. If you remember back to chapter 1, when Nehemiah is a cupbearer of the king, it's Hananiah that comes to him and says, Nehemiah, things are not good. And now when the walls are rebuilt, he says, Hananiah, I think you almost might have said, you know what, you you were the one who raised the alarm. You were the one who came to me and said, and I trust you to put things in place. The walls are finished. Nehemiah had done his duty. But he begins to delegate responsibility to others. Nehemiah knows he must go back to Babylon. He's been given a pass, if you want to say, from the Persian king to go back and and rebuild the walls. But then he's told him he's coming back. I think he knows if I don't go back, we could be in strife. And he knows he's got to go back. He can't be relied upon to be the governor of Jerusalem. That's what they refer to him as. If we look at chapter 9 and onwards, it talks about Nehemiah, the governor of Jerusalem. And I almost get the picture that the people wanted him maybe to even stay on and be governor. But he delegates his, his tasks and the jobs to others. He cares too much about Jerusalem. He cares too much about the people to try and do both. He knows people must be appointed. Our church, God has given us the privilege of knowing him. If you're in this building today, hands up if you're not. Someone, wake them up. I'm guessing they didn't put their hand up because they're asleep. Anyway. If we know Jesus Christ, if we've heard the gospel, we have been given the privilege of being his ambassadors. We have a duty. We have a function. We have a role. We have a... A duty, if we call ourselves Christians and we've given our lives to God, to live for Him, to tell people about the gospel. Our lives are not our own. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, he's speaking to the elders in particular, but it says, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honour. In the same way, you, are, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, 
Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honour. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. I think there's a good passage to all, for all of us to aspire to. Our vision here at CFC is that we might be a family for everyone who comes in. Whether you have a family that you connect with or relate with or not, we want to be a family for one another. That as we care for one another, that we learn to care for others. As we cared for, we learn to care for others, to make disciples, to, to teach others what people have taught us about Jesus. God's plan is that disciples make disciples. That's His plan. That's God's Word. That's His church. That's His people. Disciples make disciples. Those who've been led to Christ lead others to Christ. That's God's pattern. That's the New Testament church. That's why we have equip days as a church, to equip one another, to, to be His hands and feet, to be ambassadors of Christ. We had a, a great equip day on evangelism at the start of the year to equip us, anyone who wanted to be better at evangelism, to, to be better at it. That's why we have video Bible school every Monday night, to, to, that we might grow in our knowledge of who God is, that we might know who God is and be able to explain the truth of who He is to others. And if you want to grow in your walk with God, if you want to understand more about God's Word, we're just starting our new, new uh, unit on an introduction to Christian belief. What a great s- series to jump into. If you want to come along Monday nights from 5.30 till 7.30, bring your tea. Um, it's a great time. That's why we're starting a new, a new thing in August. We're starting four months, four Monday mornings, the first Monday of each month, August, July, uh, that's backwards, August, September, October, November. Monday morning from 7.30 till 8.30 a.m., we're starting a leadership development time for anyone who wants to grow as a leader. It might, might not mean you ever, ever be a upfront leader, but you just want to grow in your personal leadership, maybe leadership of a small group, leadership of a, of a ministry, who knows? But we want to grow as leaders, that we can lead people to Christ more effectively. There's more details on that coming soon, but I just want to let you know because I'm excited about it. It's in August, it's a while away. I believe what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher... Their role, their, their function, my role as a pastor of this church isn't to pastor all the people. There's a revelation. My role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to pastor one another, to, to teach one another, to counsel one another, to, to evangelize. An evangelist's role isn't to do all the evangelism. It's to inspire us as his church to be evangelizing. <laughs> Too many... <laughs> That's God's church. That's his plan. That's why at CFC we're empowering and looking to empower more and more leaders to to have leadership and authority to lead teams of leaders and, and, and ministers of the gospel. You are a minister of the gospel. Oh, I'm fired up. I care too much about our kids in this church and our kids' ministries to try and run our kids' ministries. You know, when I first became the pastor in this church, I was running the kids' ministry as well. It was a, a, a role that needed someone to step in. And to be honest, I would love to be out there every Sunday with the kids and just doing kids' ministry. I, I would happily do it. 
but I want to empower someone else to do that so I can do the other things that I feel God's called me to do. I care too much about our youth to try and run our youth program. In reality, I try and be there on Friday nights as often as I can because you know what? I just love being in youth. I love supporting these guys. And that's part of it too, Sam. You do an awesome job, Sam. But I just love being in youth amongst young people who draw on chairs because they don't know who God is and they don't have any respect for anyone or anything and they scribble stuff on chairs because they don't know God's love and don't know how to be a Christian because they're not a Christian. I love hanging around with our young people. I, I, I care too much about our young adults. So we've empowered Justin and Eric to run our young adults and we have Dee that looks after prayer healing and Dad looks after CAP and Josephine looks after craft and we have people that are appointed to lead and, and facilitate different ministries. I mean, Josephine probably has a lot more gifting in craft as well than me. That's why we've uh, empowered uh, a few different people to make some phone calls on my behalf. Ronnie and Lorraine and some others are, are making some phone calls on behalf of the church to say, hey, how are you going? Sorry we missed you. Because to be honest, there is so many things on my to-do list I don't get done each week. And we want to empower his church to do the ministry that his body is called to do. This is the church in motion God, let us never chase titles. Let's never chase positions. I remember when my, I was having my interview to become a credentialed pastor. They asked me, Andrew, do you want to pastor a church one day? I was leading the youth team at the time. And I said, not specially. <laughs> I just love doing youth ministry. I wasn't necessarily even wanting to be a pastor at that point in time. Let's not chase positions but let's seek to be used by God in his transformational work he has called you he's appointed you if you're a disciple he's called you to make disciples let's have a look at who who, who does Nehemiah choose to govern the city he chooses Hananiah a faithful man a man of integrity reliable faithful truthful who fears God more than most? Who fears God? Does that mean he's scared? Does that mean he's afraid? Does that mean he's kind of... I think we can get confused about that phrase about fearing God. The, the Hebrew word there for fear is ro, ro, I'm trying to, trying to roll my R here. Rore. Oh, I got it. Rore. Which means to fear or revere, to have awe or even dread. I think in the spectrum of fear, there's a fear of dread of judgment and there's a fear and, a, and an awe of worship. And, and I think Hananiah is a man who, who had a fear of God more than most. He, he loved God. He worshipped more than most, maybe we could say. He had a revere and an awe of God. You know, we have an election coming up in a couple of weeks. Has anyone heard something about that? Yeah, we have an election coming up. And actually... I would like us just to pray right now because we need to cover our leaders in prayer. We need to cover our nation in prayer. And God, right now we just bring our nation before you. God, we ask as your church that you would lead us as a nation. God, we pray for the leaders that are empowered in this nation to be leaders. Lord, we ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask that you would give them grace. Lord God, you would, uh, Lord, cause them to, to, to cry out to you for wisdom. We ask that you might help them know you and know your ways. And Lord, we pray for this election coming up, that you would be glorified, that Lord, you would uh, instill the people that you would have in those places. Lord, we ask 
And we know that you are able. We know that you are Lord of all. And we just uh, submit the whole thing to you, God. We just uh, ask you to lead us forward as a nation in Jesus' name. Let's be continuing to pray. We're called to pray for our leaders. Moving on to verse 3. Some of you are getting worried. We're only up to verse 3. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to jump forward a bit quicker in a minute. In verse 3, we see that there's still concern about attack. They're putting guards on there. There's concern. Nehemiah notes that the population of the city is low. There's only about 42,000 people. Jerusalem today is roughly, from my Google searches, about 850,000 people. 42,000? 850,000. Nehemiah sees that the homes within the walls have not yet been rebuilt. And I think Nehemiah knows that a city without homes that have been rebuilt doesn't grow very quickly. It's not a very attractive place to grow a family and, and move into. He knows that the population needs to grow and increase for the, the nation and the, and the city to be strengthened. And he gets the idea to, rec- to, to look at the family records. So some can't prove their identity, so they're excluded from service. You know what? They had requirements, requirements for membership in their church. I mean, Israel. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really bad joke. Yeah, that was nervous laughter. Anyway, verse 66, we've, we've jumped forward past all the records of who was there. In verse 66, it says, So a total, oops, a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah, in addition to the 7,337 servants, singers, the men and the women. They took with them 736 horses, 255 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Now, I wonder, do we remember who these people are? These, these people were captives. These people had been captured. They were conquered. These, these were the servants of... of they, they, were, they were captives in another nation. They were under the rule of a, a Persian king, first Babylonian king, but then the Persian king. What a testimony of God's provision that even out of the rule of of another king, he would release them and let them take all these animals with them. Does anyone know how much is a horse horse worth these days? I was going to ask Nelly, but I can't see her here. Uh, Too much. Probably depends on the horse. Well, I I was being really, I think, pretty um, low in my estimate, but if you said a horse was worth 100 bucks and the horse lovers go, that's that's horrific, you can't say that. Let's say a horse was worth 100 bucks, just for a second. If, it, if a horse was worth $100, that'd be $73,600 worth of horse. Is, I'm sure they're worth a lot more than that. <laughs> and then there's six or 7,000 donkeys. This is a lot of animals. Church, let's always remember that God is our source. He is our strength and He is our provider. It doesn't matter what situation we're in, God is able to provide for us even as He provided for Israel in that moment kind of reminds me of when Israel escaped out of Egypt too. Let's just have a look at that for a moment in Exodus 12. Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, get out, he ordered, leave my people and take the rest of Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. I love that line. I find that fascinating. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread, dough, 
before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. And they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. You know, God is our provider. God is our provider. No matter what situation you're in today, what battle you might be facing next, remember that God is our provider. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And he goes on to say, Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me. Don't worry about tomorrow. Whether we are rich or poor, whatever we have, do we acknowledge that it is all a gift from God? That's probably a lot easier to say when we're feeling rich, but when we're feeling poor, I wonder how easy do we find it to say, thank you God for all that I have. No matter how small it might be, that to, to thank God for something in your life. I wonder, do we think of God as our servant that should bless us? Or do we think of ourselves as his servants that are thankful for all that he gives us? I heard a saying the other day that there is no volunteers in the kingdom of God. There are no volunteers in the kingdom of God. We are all bond servants. We've submitted our lives to Christ. We've given our lives to Christ. We no longer volunteer a part of our time. Our lives are His. We're, we're bond servants. We're servants out of love. We serve one another. We serve Him because of our love for Him. I pray that that would be our, our motive and our desire. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience true life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this is Paul speaking of not comparing himself and Apollos. He says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything has, you have is a gift from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Everything we have is a gift from God, whether it's little or whether it's much. Let's thank God for what He's given us. We see in verse 70 to 72, in Nehemiah 7, the people bring the gifts for the rebuilding of the temple. This is... Uh, recorded in Ezra 2 as well. This is before they've rebuilt the temple. The people aren't forced to give. They, they joyfully give because they want to see God exalted. They want to see God glorified. And they give generously, not just a little. If we try and translate into today's values what they, what they gave, it says they gave 41,000 gold coins between the people, the leaders, and everyone else. I had a little look, and gold today is uh, trading. One kilogram of gold is worth about 41,156 US dollars. That was on Friday, anyway. Um, 41,000 coins would weigh, according to the, what the original figures were, about 3,465 kilograms. That translates to about $15 million today. 
Can you imagine a city about four times the size of Colac saying, we want to see God glorified? And they gave $15 million of gold coins to see the work done on top of the other things that they gave. It says about two and a half tons of silver, $1.2 million today worth of silver, plus all the other things that I have no idea how to value, like gold basins. How do you value a gold basin? I'm not sure. God's people had caught on to the fact, to the knowledge that God was their provider. They knew if God can save us from Babylon captivity and he can send us out with horses and donkeys and and all this other stuff, we know that all we have is a gift from him and we are just going to give freely for the work that God has called us to. And they just give hugely. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, speaking of the gospel, Freely you have received, freely give. In Job, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I wonder, do we have that generous heart? Do we know that we're just a vessel to be used by God, to be blessed, to be blessing, a blessing to others? The sad thing is that they give so freely in chapter 7. We read about it in chapter 7. And then in chapter 10, they promise a tithe. They promise to continue to give so that the temporal sacrifices and the offerings could be presented to God. To give it a tithe, a tenth of all they, they, they earn, all their crops. But by chapter 13, three chapters later, they have stopped giving. Nehemiah comes back from his time in Babylon. And because the people have stopped giving their, 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 their tithe to the, the temple... The Levites have gone out, they've found other work, the the offerings have stopped, the sacrifices have stopped, those things that they'd sworn to obey, the things that they'd stopped doing and then went into captivity for their disobedience. In this short space of time, they hardened their heart, they, they tighten their fists on what they have and they don't give. I wonder today... Where are we at? Where are you at in your knowledge of God? And our understanding that, of the responsibility that He has given us. Nehemiah had the task of, of governing a city. We have the task of re- and responsibility of the gospel, of sharing the gospel, the power of God to save sinners, the power of God, the hope of the world has been entrusted to us. Do, do we see, do we understand the urgency of the responsibility that we have been given? The need for us as his people, as his disciples, to make disciples, to pass on to others the hope that we have, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is so much more to be done. I look at the city we're in, I, I look at the school where I work as a chaplain. And I see there is so much more to be done. And you know what? Let's not be, let's not be frozen by that. Let's not be burdened down by that. Let's be excited by the opportunity and the privilege we have to be a part of what God would do on this earth today. Let's be inspired. I wonder where are we at in our knowledge of God as our provider? Do we see the generosity of God? Are we day by day thanking God for His generosity, for the things that He has given us? And not just praying for the things we haven't yet been given. It's okay to ask, but let's submit it to Him. 
the generosity of God. We have been saved by Him. We are new creations because of Jesus Christ. We have life and eternity because of what He has done for us. You know, to, be, to be honest, I'm so inspired by, by new Christians. I look at Tamara as she stood up here and t- shared her testimony recently. I look at Mandy and, and, and Vi and, and, and Darcy and some of these guys that to us are, are new Christians. And, and just their passion and their joy in God. Even though they face struggles, they face trials like the rest of us. But there's just a joy because they've found salvation. Let's never lose the joy of our salvation I'm jumping ahead to next week, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Let's never lose that. Let's never miss that God is our provider. I want to do we give freely our time, our finance, our energy for the things that would give glory to God. Sam did a great job talking in announcements and stuff this morning. Good, good job, Sam. But uh, I want to say this morning that the New Testament actually doesn't teach tithing. You, you can't find a, a, a scripture to teach tithing in the New Testament. And some of you are going, oh, phew. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Andrew, for telling me that. Because you know what? Instead of tithing, the Bible teaches in the New Testament, everything we have is His. It all belongs to God. Everything I have is a gift from Him, and it all belongs to Him. And all of it is to be used for His glory. Wow, what a challenge. <laughs> You know what, I don't think I've ever taught on, t- and on tithing or, or, or giving before. Because you know what, I, to be honest, I hate money. <laughs> they made me the treasurer of the youth group for a while when Gabe was still a youth leader, and I hated it. I did it because she asked me to, but the moment I became the leader, I delegated. I tried to be inspired by Nehemiah. I hate dealing with money. But do we realize that all we have is a gift from God? Do we give freely, not just our, our 10%, do we... To be honest, um, as a church, we don't just give 10% of the money that comes in to other organizations and missions. We, we give over and beyond that because all that we have is for His glory, for His ministry. And to be honest, I think we're quite good. God help us to be wise in how we use our money as a church. Um, personally, my, my conviction is that anything that will help us increase our effectiveness to minister to people or expand our ability to minister to people, to reach people, is worth spending money on. That's my heart. If you have a problem with that, come and talk to me. I'll see if I can refine that, if it's God saying it. As an individual, as a, as a couple, as a family, we, we tithe. We, to be honest, we, we direct debit our, our tithe. It, it just goes out. It's, I don't even have to try not to forget. But to be honest, there's a, there's a danger in that, that I can, I can do that, and, and I just don't even... Think about giving. It just happens and I want to be remembering it and, and praying over that money and, and doing it joyfully and generously. And I don't just want to have that 10% set up and, and, and say, oh, that's it, I've done my bit, that's it. I want to give above and beyond what that 10% might be. I think the 10% is a great starting place. I, I, I don't want to say any of that to boast, but I want to lead by example. As a family, we support other missions organisations that have nothing to do with this church. We support couples and families and God, give us a generous heart and expand our heart that we might be able to encourage and help and reach more people with the gospel. God has given us life. 
God has given us everything we have. He is our source. And I want to ask today, will we be generous? Let's not be tight-fisted like the Israelites after that short period of time who just held on to what they had and the work of the, the temple stopped. Let's be vessels that God would use. I just ask if the band would come. We're going to finish with this song, God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. He is greater than all we seek. He is greater than all we ask. He has done great things. He was lifted up on a cross. He defeated the grave. And then he was raised to life. Our God is able. In his name we overcome. Let's seek first his kingdom. For the Lord our God is able. But just before we sing that song, I just want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2. Sorry. Oh, that's right. I've got the clicker. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He was fully human on this earth. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a, criminal, uh, died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, uh, sorry, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus has done for you and I. But you know what? The very verse before that, do you know what it says? Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This morning, let's sing this song. Let's remember that our God is our provider, that He is able. But more than that, I just ask this morning, if, if you would surrender to God again, that you would say, God, I want to be generous as you've been generous to me. And I actually want to encourage you to physically posture yourself and say, God, I surrender. Maybe you want to bend down on your knees. Maybe you want to lift your hands and just say, God, I surrender my life to you again. I think our, our physical posture is important. The Bible says I want men to lift up holy hands in prayer. I think we need to, to physically respond sometimes. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song, let's surrender again to Him. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And you've just this morning just seen God's love for you. And I encourage you to surrender. Let's just lift our hands and, and sing, God is able. He will never fail. Amen. Thanks, guys.